We're ready to do this. We're barely, barely ready to do this, more or less. Yeah. All right. So here we go. How is everybody? We're good. I, I don't like microphones, uh, but I, I think if I just if I just yelled at you, it might not have the same effect. So I'm going to use the microphone. Uh, let me do a quick little technology check. Oh, yeah. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I have complete control, right? So this is where we just really, they said 38 minutes. It's as long as I want it to be. Um, so, yeah, they introduced me. My name is Ian. I am a lecturer at the University of Central Florida. Um, and, and we're here to talk about money a little bit. Um, so the, the sermon today, right, it's not really a sermon Here's the thing. Ben mentioned last week that he's not a pastor. I'm not either. It's neither my gift nor my actual position. So this is not going to be like a nice little, you know, encouragement type thing. Uh, I'm a lecturer. I'm an instructor. So that's what we do here. Now uh, we're here to talk about how to get rich. And I don't know if you can you can read the subtitle. It's okay. What that says is no cash cash money, right? I'm not talking about how to make your life rich. It's not what we're here for, okay? Um, I don't like the bait and switch, right? You hear, you see the headline or the little clickbait titles, and it's like, oh, how to get rich, and they're like, you know, build a family and love your friends. No, 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 bank accounts, right? So here we go. Here are the key factors, all right? Now, listen, I do have a PhD in finance, all right? This is how this works. A, you got to make a lot of money, and then B, just don't spend it all. That's it. All right, you want to be wealthy, that's all there is to it. Now, um, yeah, this is kind of a joke, obviously, but uh, it's also kind of not because it, it is also kind of this simple in a lot of ways, right? And people stub their toe over these two things, but really is all about how much comes in and how much goes out, no matter what you're doing. Now, there's a lot of you know, different techniques and things that people want to do to figure out how do we actually make this work. Now, for the people that are in college, right, I... You know, I can give you a lot of advice on how to do some of these things. You got to be smart, make some good decisions, and things got to break your way some. Um, but this is kind of what it boils down to in life. And you know, obviously, that is not the sermon today. The the presentation uh, is actually all about memes. So we're going to get into no, we're actually not going to do memes. But I, I did think. <laughs> You know, if, if I were coming to a church to listen to somebody talk about money, uh, what do you figure they're about to tell you? Give more money, right? That is also not what we're going to talk about today. Um, what we're going to look at a little bit is how ministry actually works when it comes to finances, okay? Because there's some things that we've got to pay attention to if we want stuff to happen. Um, so, Let's look at what we've got here. The body of Christ, not just a metaphor. Um, how does God actually work in the world? Well, it, it can be like direct interaction and miracles and stuff, but the reason we call those miracles is because they're very special events. They don't happen a whole lot. And expecting constant miraculous intervention isn't really a good strategy, right? There's a little saying, hope is not a plan, right? You can go into something with reckless abandon thinking, oh, God's going to bail me out. But if you read through the Bible a lot, that's not really what he says to do, right? You read through Proverbs. 
it's not just, hey, go live your life, right? There's a lot of things that involve wisdom, and wisdom is not telling you this is exactly what's going to happen every time you do something. It's more about, hey, most of the time this would be a good idea, right? And you should think through these things before you just go engage in any activity, and ministry is no different, right? If you don't plan for how are we actually going to make this happen, then a lot of times you're going to find out that it just won't happen. It doesn't matter how strong the calling feels, it, it's still got to be provided for, and that doesn't just pop into existence, right? Um, and th that's one thing I'd like to point out is that God's primary interaction to the world is through His church, through the people. And so uh, the body of Christ, while it, it's about how we are interconnected and part of one another and how we serve and work together. It's also like a direct analogy for if you go do something and you use your hands to interact and build somebody a house, your hands have been Christ's hands there, right? So it's not just, oh, you know, you're this metaphorical body. No, you're literally, if God is going to do something, it's got to happen through people, right? And so the next thing, right, whose money is it, right? Thinking in that context, your hands, your body, is your body. You get to decide what you do with it. Your money is actually your money. You get to decide what to do with it. Now, there, you know, again, I, I'm imagining if I just put that question in front of a church that, hey, whose money is it? Everybody's going to say, God, it's Jesus, right? Um, and yeah, it's, it's not that that's wrong. Um, it's that, well, there's more to it, right? Yeah, everything's God's, but he gives it to people to then use it, right? He gives you a body. He gives you volition, willpower. He gives you choices to determine how you use what he's given you, be it your talents, your skills, your ability, your body, your house, your car. Everything has been given to you that you can make decisions, and you can do what you want. And there's a lot of room, I believe, for error. Now, again, I'm not your pastor, so there's going to be a lot of opinions in here, and if they want to come up here and say, eh, yeah, that's not how we're going to do things here, that's fine. Um, but my opinion is there's a lot of room in there, okay? And so in this concept of whose money is it, um, there's no scriptures in any of this, but I'm going to draw on some things. So one thing to draw on is if you read Acts, there's this pretty famous story, Ananias and Sapphira, right? We've We've heard this story. This is where the New Testament gets Old Testament, and we just straight start killing fools, right? Um, which is what we all wanted in the first place. That's why Jesus is like, dude, back off with the calling fire down from heaven, right? We have a natural in inclination to like want street justice immediate, right? People get what they deserve. Um, so the story's like this. Uh, you start in Acts 5, except for if you start in Acts 5, you're actually missing what's going on. Uh, at the end of Acts 4, there's a dude named Barnabas, right? And it's the Barnabas, right? He's, he's this guy that travels with Paul later. Uh, he sells some, some property, and he gives all the money to the church, and everybody's like, wow, what a great guy, right? He's awesome. Um, so these other two people, this married couple, looks at that, and they're like, well, that looks cool. So they sell some land, too. And they give some money to the church, and they say, here's all the money from this land that we sold, which is a problem because it wasn't all the money from the land that they sold. It was about half of it. Okay, and then, you know, if you know the story, they drop dead, right? Because they're talking to Peter, and it's like, all right, God's mad, and he kills you. He, they didn't die, right? God wasn't angry. Peter wasn't angry. Nobody was angry because they only gave half the money. It had nothing to do with that. It actually was because they lied about it, 
right? And the, the point of all this is there's actually this, this thing that Peter says to them that's a strong implication here. He said, hey, while the land was yours, you could have done whatever you wanted with it. After you sold it, the money was still in your hands. You could have done whatever you wanted with it. There was no obligation that you had to give all your stuff to the church, but you lied about it, right? That's actually the problem there. And so it's interesting because I've, I've heard that story told as like a reason why we have to tithe and things like that. that that's actually missing the point, I think, of what they were actually trying to say. Um, and it is interesting that Peter didn't even talk about tithing or anything, of how much they should have given. He's just like, look, it was yours. Do what you want with it. Um, and if you read the Old Testament, it's pretty clear, right? Ecclesiastes goes on and on and on about how it is the gift of God to be able to enjoy the product of your labor, right? That it is a special gift that people work, and that's hard, and it stinks. And you produce stuff and then actually get to live out of it, right? There's, you know, don't, what is it, muzzle the oxen while they tread out the grain, right? Let it eat whatever it wants. It's working, and so there is this thing that, you know, we can get trapped in Christianity in, I, I think it's almost, it's not abusive, but it can be, that we hear this message a lot about, you know, telling you, you got to give, you got to give, you got to give. And the church has a poor history, some, uh, dealing with this concept of money and giving to the church because you put these people in authority and sometimes they are apt to use their position to extract goods and benefits for themselves from people who feel morally condemned if they don't do what this person tells them, right? And so, you know, we can go back to indulgences where basically the church was like, hey, it's cool, send all you want as long as you can afford it. And by afford it, we mean uh, buy your way out. N not a great system, not very biblical, right? But that's what happened for a while. And in modern days, we see a lot of people on TV uh, telling you, hey, if you do the right things, God will make you wealthy while they are, uh, again, I could put up the, the, the Joel Steen memes and things like that, right? People driving Rolls Royces because they're pastors and things like that. And it just comes off kind of weird. And I think here at H2O, we don't have those problems. What we probably have is, in, in my opinion, uh, pastors that actually are very hesitant to bring this stuff up because they don't want that association. And because it's the first thing that people kind of, they have this initial reaction, oh, the church and money, and they just kind of recoil because they're trying to push us to take our stuff so that they can exploit it. Um, so I, I want to say that's kind of one thing, that I, I'm not here telling you how much or blah, blah, blah. That's, that's not what this is about. Um, now, if, if your reaction to that is, cool, I'm not going to give anything, you've probably heard the wrong thing. Uh, it, it's not that you're not supposed to give anything. It's not that you're supposed to give nothing. It's just, look, it's a hard issue. Uh, the Bible is pretty clear that uh, God wants people to give because they have received his message in their heart and see and want to participate in what he is doing, just like, hey, you should maybe also think about volunteering for different things. Like we, as a small congregation, have a lot of needs, right? There's uh, a lot of positions open <laughs> that need staffing, whether it be serving, um, you know, in the praise and worship team or in Splash or things like that, right? It's not just about money. It's all these things that you can enter into service in. But, you know, it's not that we're demanding and cracking whips. It's do you see the needs? Do you have the ability to fill them? And if so, have you been moved to do that? And if you're not moved to do any of it, well, you probably should look into that too, right? Um, so, moving on. Uh, 
so churches, right, and, and I'm being non-biblical there. I, I don't mean like, you know, the church. I'm just saying, okay, the, the things that we call churches, these organizations, they're local and regional. Um, they are legally businesses, even though it doesn't seem like that makes sense, because they're nonprofits, and that's just how we do things for tax purposes. But uh, just like on that first slide, like I said, it's kind of a joke that you got to make a lot of money and then not spend it all. Uh, Churches also have to bring in money and not spend it all. If you don't do that, it's, you're not going to have it very long. Every ministry is like that. Um, when I was young, I, I actually worked in a ministry for a little while, and that's actually why I went into finance. So this, what I'm talking about is actually not because I worked in finance. It's because I did some stuff a long time ago that caused me to get into the field of finance because I saw the problems. And there's kind of two ends. On one end, people who are in ministry have to understand that it's a big ass to go to people who get up at 5 or 6 a.m. and go to work and try to earn money to provide for their families and then turn around and say, hey, why don't you give that to us so that we can go do the work of the Lord, right? If you're doing that, you got to be very sure that that's what's happening because if you come and ask me for that, it's, okay, I agree, I should give my money to the work of the Lord. How do I know, though, that that's you? Right? And on the flip side, if you are being asked, um, you have to understand that if you don't participate and give, that stuff can't happen. Right? It, it's both ends. We have to have people who are willing to get up and go to work and make more money than they need to have excess. That way they can give to people who are not going to be doing productive kind of work. They are going to be doing ministry, which uses funds and money to do that stuff. Um, if you don't have both of those things, it's not going to work. And that, that can be kind of difficult because there are some things that are good, but if you can't get funding for it, it's still not going to happen no matter how good it is. So, uh, this is, again, probably kind of hard for you guys to see, but you can see the line, and the line's really what's important. Um, so, this is a little graph of uh, H2O's bank account. Over the past, uh, goes back to mid-2017. All right, so a year and a half, a couple years. Um, and what you see is, uh, in, you know, strictly speaking, it is inappropriate to draw statistical uh, inference from a picture. But I would say that this is, this is a pretty strong trend there the last, like, year and a half. Um, and it's kind of going in one direction, right? Now, if you actually look at the numbers, which, again, you can't see, that represents about a $30,000 drawdown in that bank account. Uh, which is over half of what was in there at that peak, okay? Now, again, you could draw a straight line and say, okay, well, that predicts out to another 18 months, and then there's nothing. That's not going to happen. But the reason it's not going to happen comes from two different places. Number one, either there will be intervention on our part, i.e. God's part, or economics kicks in where there will have to be other changes. And those changes, again, uh, going back to incomes and outflows, are... Uh, if there isn't an increase in incomes, there have to be a reduction in outflows, which means things have to get cut. That may or may not be things we like, um, but something will happen because we have people running the show that also know that this is going on. So it's just something to be aware of that I'm not projecting out that things are you know, going to collapse, but they cannot continue in a vacuum exactly like this forever. Something will change somewhere. All right, so other things to think about. Well, why is this happening? So again, we got a chart with four lines. What's going on? Top line, 
we operate on a budget. Now, what all that means is we have a planned level of expenses and expenditures as a business, right? There's a amount of good services, things that we're planning on doing, and that actually started out a little higher at the beginning of the year before we saw, hey, this isn't working, and so we cut it. So that very top line, you see it's kind of straight, then it breaks down a little bit, and we cut money out of the budget, which I believe actually was our pastors deciding to take less money. They chose not to cut anything else but the own, their own amount of income. All right. Now, the next line is the amount of income that we received through giving, right? And if you notice, it's been below the top line every month. And this goes, this is from the beginning of the year through August, right? So month after month, we have planned a level of expenditure, and we have not brought that much money in, okay? And so then that brings us to the third line, the red line, which is if you chart out every month, how much did we have in shortfall in that month? And then the bottom line is the cumulative impact on our bank account from those shortfalls. And as you can see, it starts out negative and just keeps diving. All right, so again, uh, all this is basically to represent, look, we, we do have plans for how much we need. We have made adjustments in the budget. We have not received enough in giving to cover that, which is why we're eroding the bank account balance. It's because every month not enough is coming in compared to what is going out. So the next thing we're going to look at is, well, where is all the money going, right? We have a budget. What's in there? What's you know, absorbing all this money? Because we do want to make sure that we're not being wasteful. So here's a, you know, everybody loves pie charts. Um, <clears throat> here's what's going on, Okay. Uh, because, again, you want to make sure that, you know, we, we aren't uh, paying for stuff that we shouldn't. Uh, the biggest block there does go to pay our three pastors, okay, 52%, right? Now, 52% seems like a big proportion of the budget, but, again, you have to realize that that budget is also a number, and 52% of a relatively small number isn't necessarily a big amount of money, especially when you're paying three people, okay? So, um, yes, biggest chunk of our budget pastor expenses. Uh, we have like 150 maybe members at H2O. If you want to, we don't really do membership, but if you want to frame it like that. So, um, you know, the thing is, is we don't pay our three pastors. We pay them some money. We do not pay their salaries. They go and they ask other people to contribute, and they go through, you know, was it GCM or whatever to do that. Um, and other people mostly in Ohio, from what I know, um, are contributing their extra money so that we can have our pastors because we ourselves cannot afford them, right? Now, we do pay them some because that's appropriate, right? We don't want to do this without paying them and compensating them for, again, the fact that they have uh, lives that they also need to pay for. Again, you don't muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. So uh, that's a big piece. The next big piece is basically our lease, right, paying for this place. That is about uh, not quite one-fourth of our budget. Now, that's just the building. If you add in the parking, and the parking is uh, one of these little gray blocks, I believe, another 4% of our budget just goes so that we can have somewhere to park on Sunday, right? So 28% of our budget goes to Sunday just being able to be here, right? That does not include coffee. That does not include any of the ancillary stuff that doesn't include fixing or replacing cables when they break, right, or any of the equipment that we have, 
None of that gets covered. Okay, now if you add those two things together, you are now like 80-something percent of our budget gone, right? Everything else goes to pay for maintaining the truck or providing coffee or uh, paying for, you know, ministries like our men's ministry or women's ministry, things like that, Any, anything that that costs, printing the handouts that we get, right, our, our bulletins and things like that. That stuff all costs money, and that's, you know, the rest of this, we've got insurance, we have bank fees, we have, you know, just overheads, incidentals, which all combined add up to about 15%. So there's, that's it, right? There's not a lot of fluff in there, and so we get into, oh, right, well, what are we going to do with all this stuff, right? We have to recognize that this puts us in a certain position, And we need to think about uh, how that could go wrong, okay? Um, so now we get into some finance stuff. Not, not too much, but just some things to think about. Uh, operational leverage is a type of cost structure that means our costs stay relatively this, the same no matter if we do more or less, right? And again, it's kind of weird because with a church, you don't want to talk about revenue. Um, but you think about what we do is ministry. And so you can think of this as how many people do we serve, right? How many people show up? Um, how much activity do we do in ministry? Well, that's our product, right? And the more we do, how much do our costs change? Does it cost us a lot more money if 200 people show up today instead of 100, or if 300, right? I think this place maxes out at like 350 people before the, the fire marshal gets mad, all right? If we push that many people in here, leases don't go up. The same amount of parking expense gets generated. Our pastors don't get paid any more money, all right? So that means it's fine if we grow. It won't cost us much more, right? Because only a small amount of our budget is not totally fixed. Um, but the bad thing is, is that, well, if we don't, if we shrink, those costs do not go away, all right? So leverage is it makes things bigger. It makes good things better. It makes bad things worse. And 80% of our costs are fixed, meaning if we don't generate enough activity, if we don't bring in extra revenue, they're not just going to magically go away, right? Because you think, well, what can we cut out of that budget? Eh, you know, there's, there's not a lot, right? We can't really, like, this is the space we have, right? You can maybe do a different space. But again, like I said, changes may not, they may not be the changes that you want, right? Getting into a different location or a smaller space. Do we want our, our pastors to accept less money? Because the, the entire rest of the budget's 15%, right? I mean, that's not a ton. Um, I think our, our monthly budget's somewhere, like we started the year at 23-ish thousand a month, right? You cut that, now we're at like 2021. 20, all right, well, 15% of that is about three grand, all right? We're running deficits of a couple grand a month. I mean, what do you, like even if we axed all the overheads, we're barely getting above that line. Um, so that's where it's like, what can you cut? Well, not really that much because we don't have big fat expenditures. We've already kind of been through that process, right? We've already cut the budget. We've already cut money. Um, so there's not much, which means realistically uh, we have this scale issue that we can get bigger and it, it will help. If we get smaller, it's going to hurt, right? And that's just, again, kind of the, the, the facts. Uh, the next part, part is fragility, right? What 
are the things that could go wrong and change the situation very quickly into a bad thing. Things to notice is that about half of our, our giving comes from 11 accounts, all right? Uh, I believe if you include the next 10, it gets you up to something like 75 or 80%, right, of our entire, like, giving comes from a very small group, which means one of those families or one of those people goes, you get really big impacts from potentially very small numerical headcount changes, right, which is a source of risk, right? There's a lot of volatility possible if that person kind of leaves, which introduces what we would call a moral hazard, right? Because um, if you are in a financial distress state, you might be more apt to satisfy or placate someone who has the ability to change your financial state. And that's, I think we would agree, not what we would like our leadership to pay attention to, right? And again, very explicitly mentioned in the Bible, uh, you are not supposed to treat rich people any different than poor people, right? That is a very, very bad thing that is very directly addressed. But you can see how it would be very tempting, right? Just by implication of the financial position, there's a reason why they had to point that out in the Bible, right? Because it is a thing that naturally presents itself as a solution. Now, I will say, uh, if, if in the back of your head you're thinking, hey, maybe somebody wins a lottery or maybe we get a really rich person, they just solve all our problems. Again, that's not a very good plan, right? Not saying it's, it's not possible. I'm just saying, again, hope's not a plan. Betting on a miracle, not a good bet, right? We have to be wise. Um, so what, right? What are we going to do? Well, uh, again, you you've probably came in here primed to hear somebody tell you to give more. So the first thing, let's just get out of the way. Yeah, one thing we could do is give more, right? And that would be good for H2O, not very good for the people that give more, right? Now, again, they get some satisfaction about being, you know, a higher level of participation and things like that. And we know that we do want to match what God has asked us to do. Um, God tends to be very proportional in his outlook, so he does not ask poor people to give the exact same amount of money as rich people. He does most things, like if you read the Bible, it's all percentage-based, right? Uh, The New Testament even says, you know, as you have prospered, so give, right? You give a lot if you've prospered a lot. Um, it also says, hey, um, if, if you've been a thief, you need to now go work and produce stuff. That way you'll have something to give, right? It actually motivated people to actually go generate more so that you would give more, right? So, yeah, we could do that. But, um, you know, we'll say that just giving more has limits, because we each have lives and we each have things that cost us money. Now, you know, we can get in a whole different discussion about how you are managing that because giving is also very intentional and you won't accidentally find yourself with a bunch of extra money laying around. Um, It does not mean that you don't have the capacity, right? It's just a natural thing that people will use every dollar they've got, right? You will save it, you will spend it, it will find a home that benefits you right? Unless you make intentional plans to do otherwise, that's generally what's going to happen, okay? So, number one, yeah, you can do that, and that's, I'm not saying not to do that, but I, I do know that, again, there's some limits there, right? If, if you're barely getting by, you can't just magically start giving, you know, twice as much money away, um, but, you know, some of you might want to think about, am I capable of doing more, and I'm just not because it's convenient and easy not to, but, 
that's kind of all I'm going to say about that. Now, number two, um, long-term may actually be the thing that is the best option. Now, we are not picking from these. All three of these are good. And you can do all three at the same time, right? These are not mutually exclusive options. Uh, so number two, uh, grow H2O, bring more people, right? That, that's a very easy way that does not hurt your bank account at all that would, again, scale issues, right? We could double our attendance on Sunday. It won't cost us an extra dime, but it would probably be good on the revenue side that, well, more people, you would think we would generate more giving. Um, and again, I know this seems very cold and like income expenses, but again, if you don't do that well, you won't have your ministry, right? It's just, that's just how it works. So yeah, number two, recruit help, bring more people, evangelize. It's not just about saving souls, right? I mean, that's, that's actually 95% of it, right? Um, shouldn't necessarily evangelize for money. But it is something to note that if scale is an issue, one way to help that is to grow, right? Because that is a natural thing that helps. And then the third one is probably something that I would assume uh, most people haven't heard much, which is uh, you can actually go improve your own life and benefit where you are at the same time right? Um, as I mentioned, uh, a long time ago, I was in a ministry. I dropped out of college, and I went and traveled to ministry for like nine months, um, and we struggled, right? It was, I, I didn't make any money. I basically lived with a guy for free because I didn't have anything to do or anywhere to go, and like I remember eating ramen noodles with steamed vegetables cooked over the boiling pot because then that would minimize how much electricity we used, right? That Slept in the floor until we got a bed, and then he got the bed, and I slept on the couch, which is where he was sleeping before, right? Um, so the thing is, is like, that's tough, right? That is hard, and I don't think it's, it's wise to think that that's the sort of budget situation that everybody engaged in ministry should be in, right? I, d I don't think that people engaged in ministry should struggle like that. Now, I also don't think they should have their own yacht, maybe, in multi-million dollar mansions. That seems maybe wrong on the other side. Um, but maybe there's somewhere in between uh, below poverty line and mega millionaire that we can find that would be appropriate. Um, but in order for that to happen, like I said, people have to work. You have to have people to support that. And the thing is, is that the people who are working to support that, by definition, have to create more income than they need. They have to be able to produce more income that is required to pay for their own lifestyle in order to have excess that they can give it away. And the thing is, is that, again, you can achieve both at the same time. You can increase your own level of income, and naturally, you will be able to give more and live a better life. And so, you know, one thing to think about is your own level of ambition, how hard you push yourself, how much you try to achieve. Because, again, I don't want to get too out, of, out in the weeds on, you know, your life goals and things like that. But it is something to think about that whenever you choose certain things to minimize income, if you're tithing, that also shrinks, which is kind of weird. And I, I think that ambition is, again, not necessarily a bad thing in that context. And that is something that actually will benefit you and wherever you're giving your money because you will have more excess. And again, um, I, th I think we've heard a lot of messages about wealth and how it can be bad. But uh, the Bible often mentions, again, the ability to enjoy your life is a gift. And 
Unfortunately, we do have to work, right? Thessalonians, right? He who does not work shall not eat. It's just a thing. It's got to happen. Um, and if you're going to have to work anyway, why not make it as profitable as possible? Why not do as well as you can, right? Uh, the first time the Spirit of God ever came upon a person. Anybody? Anybody know? Yeah. It, it didn't come so that somebody could preach or evangelize. It didn't come to a prophet. It came to a dude so that he could do his job really well. And his job was literally, he was like a mason and a carpenter, right? And it was, he was going to go build the temple, and the Spirit literally came upon him to do that extremely well. Tabernacle, right? Not temple. Um, So again, you know, there is an element of being good at what you do that I think is is important for Christians, that you don't want to be a a terrible worker, right? It's bad for you, for one thing, but also doesn't really give Christ a great name either if all the Christians are not being very good at their jobs. So I think ambition is actually a thing that, you know, is important in life. Um, It's not just to be laid aside because, again, we got to think through what are all the different things that might make an impact. Yeah, giving more, great. But obviously, that's a one-for-one trade-off, right? Every extra dollar I give is a dollar I can't use to pay on my house or something like that. Um, bringing more people is good, right? But also, you know, if I, if I just get a raise, that's also not necessarily the worst thing in the world, right? That's good for me. It's good for H2O. Um, so in conclusion, right, what's the point of all this? Um, I just wanted to point out that you matter a lot, right? In a small space, you can have an even greater impact, right? We don't have 5,000 people. One person actually <laughs> makes a pretty big difference here, right? Two people represent a greater than 1% increase <laughs> in our population. Um, you know, I, I mean, seriously, you think about a new family comes in, and all of a sudden you've added significant impact, right, to not just, you know, our budget, but attendance and people who are able to volunteer and serve and bring their talents and gifts. Um, All these things are very important, and you are very important. And it's not just because, you know, some spiritual byline of, you know, you've been fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, It's more than that, right? You literally do matter, like in very material terms as well as spiritual. Um, And so that's kind of what I had to say today. Thank you, Ian. What a privilege and a joy it's been to have uh, you bring your skills and gifts. And uh, even along the way, we're just uh, looking forward to giving opportunities for uh, people that are growing and have opportunities to to speak uh, in their gifting to be able to do that. So um, one of the things we're going to do is just show a quick video. Um, We've uh, been uh, invited to uh, host a seminar on finances. And so this is a quick video on that. Uh, And let me go ahead and show that and then tell you something. Financial peace. We all want it. For a while, I didn't have it. 20 years ago, I hit rock bottom. I lost just about everything. I turned to God for help. And I learned how to handle money His way. As you can imagine, it worked. That's why I started Financial Peace University. 
because God's ways work. Whether you're in over your head or you're doing okay right now, if you bring home $10,000 or $10 million, if you're 21 or 61, we all need a plan. Millions of people have been through Financial Peace University. They have success stories of their own. They've learned how to get rid of debt, prepare for generations to come, and give like crazy. Your success story, your financial peace is up to you. Now is your time. It's time to take control of your money. It's time to get ready for what God has for you. It's time for financial peace. Awesome. So Dave Ramsey, uh, pretty engaging, uh, and he's got about a, they used to be a uh, 13-week series, now it's nine. And uh, we're going to be hosting that through H2O uh, in the latter part of this year. If you're interested... Uh, there is a limited space because we are, are going to be in a, um, a conference room. But if you would take out your blue card and say, yes, I'm interested in financial peace, um, John Kurtz is going to be leading it. He's got a lot of expertise in the area. And so um, we won't do it if no one signs up and says, yes, we want to do it. So p- please pull out your blue card, put your name on it, and write down uh, FPU or financial peace, and we'll go with that. Let me turn it over to the band. <laughs> 